Good morning and welcome. Thank you for being with us on this beautiful but very cold Sunday morning. My name's Craig and I am the senior pastor here. And this is my last Sunday not preaching, which I am pretty excited about. I'll introduce Carrie in just a minute, but I woke up this morning preaching my sermon for next week. So I'm, I'm eager to get back to, uh, to preaching to you guys next Sunday. Uh, but we're going to continue in uh, the pattern that we've had over the last several weeks. We've had several other folks step in and preach um, during the month of January. Pastor Kevin started that off the last Sunday in December. And then we've had some of our folks last week. We had Brother Don Wilton that spoke to us and did a wonderful job, just preached a wonderful sermon. Today, um, in this service, uh, Brother Kerry Snelling, who I'll introduce in a minute, is going to preach. Then Brian Garbade is preaching the second service. But um, Brother Kerry is going to come in just a moment. He has been with us, he and his wife, for a little bit longer than uh, a year, but they have been members here since last January. Uh, Brother Kerry has um, a long history in ministry and currently is serving in a different ministry capacity with the uh, United States Army. He may tell you a little bit about that, I'm not entirely sure, but um, uh, Brother Kerry has been with us uh, with his sweet wife, Miss Betty Lynn, for just over a year as members, and I'm eager to hear what God has laid on his heart and uh, the way that he'll be able to minister to us. So Brother Kerry, if you'd come at this time, we'd love to have you. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Craig. I know he's itching at this point. I know, I know there's been times in my life where I've brought in pastors and things to preach at churches that I've been at. And, and anytime you're away and you're not able to hear whoever it is that's preaching, as soon as you get the chance to get to a phone, the first thing you do is call someone who was in the service just to ask the question, how did they do? Because you're stressed whenever you allow someone to be in your pulpit. And this, uh, it is a wonderful thing uh, about a good pastor when they will only allow people who they know who are going to share the gospel of Christ to stand in the pulpit. That is very, very important. Uh, if you would, get your Bibles with me and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Te 2 Timothy chapter 3, down at verse number 10. And we're going to read over through verse number 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 10. If y'all would stand together, let's read God's word. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what I've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, everybody say all. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that a man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. Lord, we praise you for your word. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to share that word. And God, I pray that we would all understand clearly everything you are trying to say to us through this. In Jesus' wonderful and holy name, amen. Please be seated. Several years ago, I was in Afghanistan, and... Um, we were flying in a helicopter and we were making our way to refuel because we had dropped off the customers. And, and as we were making our way uh, 
over to where we were going to park and wait for uh, the pickup, the call to come and pick up the customers, uh, we were running out of fuel. And so with the unit that I was serving with at the time, we were able to do in-air refuel with helicopters. And so I remember we pulled up behind the C-130, and listen, it's dark, it's night. Uh, you can't see the hand in front of your face. It is so dark in this place. But we're all wearing nods, and so we're looking around, and you can see approaching the aircraft that we're getting ready to refuel with. And as we're getting closer, you get to where uh, if you're sitting in the back of the aircraft, you're in, you have no control at all. You're just riding. That's all you're doing. And, and I'm looking over at the C-130 we're about to get fuel from, and, and it's like it's right there. I mean, it is close. And I'm thinking about the rotors and how big those things are. And I'm looking at the C-130, and I'm thinking about the rotors, and I'm going, we're going to die. I'm going to die tonight, and it's not even going to be a bullet. It's going to be a, it's going to be a helicopter crash. This is bad. There's nothing good can come of this. And I start to hear the pilots talking over the microphones through my helmet, and they're just having a conversation about horses. And as they're having this conversation, I'm thinking, can we just talk about the refuel, the refuel? That's what we're here to do. Stop talking about your horses. And, and the chief that's got this thing, he's, he's a chief warrant officer five. Now, this guy has been flying helicopters forever, and I mean he is smooth as silk. And he slides right up there, they let the bag out, the little net that has the fuel in it, and he goes up, he plugs into that thing, he gets him some fuel, and then he backs off. And I'm going, there's no way we're fueled up yet. And then I hear him talk over the helmet, he says to the, the co-pilot, he says, listen, you haven't had enough practice with this. And I'm going, please, no. Tonight is not the time for practice. This, let's just get the fuel and go park. But no, you're going to practice. And I could hear it in the co-pilot's voice. I mean, it's shaking. And I'm going, this is, no, this is getting worse. It's get, everything's getting worse. The C-130's right there, y'all. We're too close. Why? We don't need to practice. This is war. Come on. We should have practiced while we were in the States. And so he, he looks over. You can, you, guys, you can watch his helmet. He turns. He looks at the pilot to be sure the pilot's okay. And the chief goes, you've got control. And he lets go of the stick. And as soon as he does that aircraft starts to jump into the air and it's going back and forth and there's dirty air coming around that side of the C-130 and I mean we're bouncing and I'm thinking there's no way in the world he's going to get it in that net and I grab the bottom of my seat to hold on because my, my rear end just keeps popping off the seat and then I let go and I grab my straps and I start tightening everything up and all of a sudden the guy on the gun on the right side all he's got strapped in is this little rat tail that's hooked to the aircraft he turns around, he looks at me, and he says, Chaplain, what you holding on for? If we crash this thing, you think that's going to help? <laughs> and all I can do is stare at the guy. <laughs> well, you didn't have to say that. I mean, there anything else you could say. And then the chief comes over the radio again, and he says, you need me to take it back? And I'm going, take it back, take it back, take it back, take the stick back, chief. Just take control of the aircraft. Take it away from him. You know, here's the thing about us. We like to control our life, don't we? Young people, you like to have the choices, don't you? It's the thing that I found about this generation now. When we tell a young person to do something nowadays, you know what has to follow that? 
Here's why. Back in the day, you were told to do something. And if you didn't do it, you know what happened? Oh, yeah. It could end with a chase around the house, but when you were caught, then you were going to get, you, you, you had it coming. You, you just, you didn't ask why, you just did it. But we want choices, don't we? You want choices. I mean, think about it. The thing about having a chief, a God, is that He has the perfect choice for us. When you look at this text that we're talking about this morning, when you start there with verse number 10, what you don't see there is, it doesn't say you have a choice. But what it does say is you, how for, you however. If you look at some of the other translations, whether it's the King James or the New King James Version, they both start this verse, but you. Meaning, you can do this or you can do something else. Now, if you look back up at the top, where it starts there in verse number 2, there's the other choice. This is the other person that we can be. We can let the chief fly the plane, and everything is not always smooth, but the chief's in control. Or we can fly the thing, and it's all over the place. The all over the place is up here. Look at it, verse number 2. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un, un, unappeasable, slanderous, with self, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that not just say pride all over it? The opposite of what we're supposed to be through God is, is one, the opposite is prideful. You know, if you look back at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, remember the story? God said you can have any fruit in the garden, you can eat any of it, anything, except from one tree. You can't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Remember the story? Now think about it for just a second. Adam and Eve could literally walk through the garden and they could go up to a tree, pick it and eat it and just walk around. They didn't even have to work. They had it made. And the one thing they had to do was obey. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But then the serpent shows up. Remember the story? You know what the serpent's problem was? You see, the serpent, Satan, was kicked out of heaven. You remember why? The book of Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel both get at the why. See, he was prideful. He wanted to be like God. It was all about him. And do you remember how he tempted Eve in the beginning when he was tempting her to take a bite of the fruit? He said, the reason God doesn't want you to do this is because you'll be like him. What was Satan's problem? He wanted to be like him. And so Eve took the fruit and she bit it and ate it. What's her issue? Remember the choice? She didn't have to eat it. It was a whole garden. Satan didn't have to rebel, but pride. Pride got Satan. Pride got Eve. Pride got Adam. And if we're not careful, pride 
will get us to. When you read through all those words that we just read, how many of those kind of bit a little bit? They did for me. Because I had to do a self-check. I had to look at this and go, arrogant? Lovers of money? You know, I, I, when I read Lovers of Money, I, I had to think about myself and the things that I build around my yard. Why do I do that? Is it never enough? Or lovers of self? How much do I really care about myself? How much do I love myself versus how much do I love God? Because what we find with pride is... is that's usually the issue. I love me too much. But then it continues on in verse number five. It says, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. You know what that means? Fake. Fake. You know any fake Christians? All you have to do is look at their fruit. There's no fruit, then fake. They're not the real deal. A few years ago, I was pastoring a church in North Carolina, and in the morning when it wasn't 13 degrees, I would stand out on the porch on the front, and I would just welcome people coming into the church. And there was this couple, they pulled up, they had their kids, and they backed their car in. And you could look in the car, and they are going, they are having it out. I mean, you could, she would look at him, and that mouth was, and then he would look back at her, and, and they're, it's going. Then the door opens, and everybody goes, they step out of the car. The kids get out. and They run to the church. I welcome them in. He grabs her hand, and they walk in, big smiles all across their face. And I'm going, what just happened? I mean, is this holy ground? What's just happened here? Where's the couple that was the real couple who was just sitting in the car? What just happened? But is that not us? You see, we don't want the world to see who we really are, do we? We can be something else and hide it. But here's the thing about God. We can't hide it from God. He knows who we really are inside. He knows when we're, when we're prideful. He knows when we're fake. And then there's one more problem with these folks up here at the top. The, and when we do the comparison, the last part of this is that they, they, they are deliberately overlooking the truth of the gospel. Look at it. It says, For among them are those who creep into household and capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning, listen to this, and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Let me just say this. In, in today's world, that's deliberate. They don't want the truth. If you look at some of the other translations, there's scripture in the old King James Version that says that they're willingly, willingly ignorant. You know what that means? They're stupid on purpose. That's what it means. Think about it. On purpose, deliberately, they don't want to know the truth. They don't want to know 
They just don't. So there are three issues with these folks at the top. When you do a comparison to the ones here at the bottom that Paul is talking to Timothy about and Paul is talking to us about, and he's saying, don't be like that. And he gets here and he says, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct. So the first thing you got to understand here is got to serve God. We have to serve the chief. The chief's the only one that can fly the plane, remember? He, when, when we try to fly it, it's all over the place, but we got to serve God. Serving God is not always easy. In fact, often it's hard. Because God has some requirements of us, like righteousness. We can't have righteousness outside the glory of Jesus Christ. That's where I get my righteousness from. And when you, when you look at righteousness, the only word I can think of when I think of righteousness that's compared to that is perfection. And I can't be that. That's a big requirement. But God says this. The pilot says this. Let me make it easy on you. Here's my son. He's perfect. And for all of your imperfections, all of your pride, all of your being fake, he's going to take that. And he's going to die for it. And because of what he does, you can put on his perfection. And you can have me. When you look at the changes, the differences, when we follow this teaching, the first thing is our conduct. I mean, this is what it says right here. You see, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, some things happened in my life. There were changes that just took place over time. Now, it, did, it wasn't like this. I know people who were like that, but that wasn't me. But things began to change. I didn't act the way I used to act. My conduct changed. I didn't speak the way that I used to speak anymore. I didn't even look the way I used to look. It changed. You know, I know people who've accepted Christ as their Savior and their look so drastically changed that it got to a place where I would look at them and go, who are you and what happened to who you used to be? God just changed them. And one of the first things he changed was the look on their face. We're used to, they, they were in this state of depression, not knowing what they were going to do, confused, hurt, and didn't know where to turn. And then they grabbed hold to Christ. And then there was this joy. Even when they went through stuff, they still had that smile on their face. You just want to slap it off. Why are you always, why, how are you like that all the time? Could you just straighten it out every now and then? They changed. You see, when we get in tune with Jesus Christ, there's things changes. Our conduct changes. My aim of life. What is your aim? Young people, what's your aim in life? What is it you want? What is it you want? What's your aim? What is your goal? You know, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whether I eat or drink and whatsoever I do, do it all to the what? To the glory of God. There's your aim right there. Glorify God. You know, the Bible says that when we want, the rocks will cry out and worship him. There's your aim. 
to give Him glory and give Him glory in everything that you do. But your faith changes. And when I say faith, this is what I mean. We believe a thing, right? We believe in Jesus Christ. And because I believe in Jesus Christ, the action of my life changes. My faith is that action because of what I believe. My action, if you look at this, shows in my patience. My action shows in my love. The Bible says that Jesus loved us. The proof of his love was the cross. The cross was his action. What's your action? Women, how do you show your husbands that you love him? Is it just what you say? Or is it what you do? Men, how do you show your wife that you love her? Do you just say it? Or do you do? What is it? My love changed because my faith changed. My love became action. And then it gets to this word steadfastness. You know what steadfastness means? To be steadfast means that I won't quit. I won't give up and I won't give in. In other words, Paul talks about this again in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6 where he says to stand and having done all to stand, that he would stand. When you get to the end of steadfastness, here's what you get to. I don't like who I used to be and I'm not going back. The old man's been put off and I put on this new man who's not like I used to be. I don't like that person. I hate that person. We had a couple of twins. Just one, twins. We got them when they were 18 months old, Betty Lynn and I did. We fostered them for about three years. And then they were given back to their mom. But during that time, we got to see them go from a place of babbling to that place of talking. You know what I'm talking about when you're raising your children? Got to see them get to where they could run, and, and, and we could have great conversations with them. But we would sit down at the dinner table, and we would get ready to eat, and, and if it was on your plate, you had to eat it. And so the girls, they would take their fork, and they would sometimes try it, but sometimes they would just look at it, and they wouldn't eat it. And Betty would say this, she'd say, baby, you got to eat your food. And one of them would inevitably say this, I can't like it. <laughs> now, they didn't say, I don't like it, because the first time they said it, I just busted out laughing. And it just messes all up, you can't make them eat it now, because you're laughing about it. But she says, I can't like it. And I, I thought about that. That makes a lot of sense. It makes so much sense to the Christian life. Here's the reason. Think about it. God says there's some things that we can do, doesn't he? And he also says there's some things we can't do, right? Do, do y'all understand the can'ts? Do you know why he says don't do this? To protect us. 
You know, often we look at the Word of God where the can'ts are at, right? And we think about it. Betty Lynn, she, she drew a picture one time when she was explaining this to some teenagers. and She drew a picture of this man, and he's in a cage. And he's holding on to that cage. And, and she starts talking about the Word of God, and she says, You guys look at the Word of God as this. It's like being in a cage. And God is just holding you there. And then she draws a picture of a shark and a wave line of water. And she says this, now how do you like the cage? You see, because there's a world of sharks that are being driven by the evil one. And they hate God. They hate him. And do you know what you have inside of you? It's called the Holy Spirit. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we are possessed literally by the Holy Spirit. And he comes and he lives inside of us. And it's because of him that we know, don't do this, do, do this. When we don't have the word of God that we can just grab a hold to and look for the answer. Because you have God inside of you, he hates you too. And that cage that God has around you is keeping the sharks out. Protecting us. See, we can be steadfast when we know we have a God like that. And when I look at all those things of the world, it's not that I just, I don't like it. I can't like it. God tells me not to like the things of this world but to have my eyes on something else if you keep looking at this text it gets after, after we get through steadfastness it says my persecutions and sufferings here's where Paul begins to transition a little bit listen to this due to the difference from the world our difference from the world the world's not going to like us and because of that we're going to have to endure hardship we're going to have to endure hardship. One, because the world doesn't like us, and two, because it's not just the world, but it's also the evil one. It's Satan. It's all of evil out after us. Acts 14.9 kind of describes what Paul gets at here. It talks about in verse number 11, it says, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. You know what happened there? You can go back and look at it at Acts 14, 9, but there's some Jews from Antioch. And they come here and they, and they spin up all of the people against Paul. You know why they spin them up against Paul? You know what Paul did? We see there's this man who is here and, and he has been crippled since birth. And so Paul tells him to get up and walk. And he does. And they want to, to, to praise Zeus for what just happened. And Paul says, whoa, 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 stop. There's a God. And it has nothing to do with Zeus. And so they stoned him. And they stoned him to the point where they thought he was dead. And they drug him outside the city. This gives you a whole new meaning to endurance, doesn't it? Because you know what Paul did? He got doctored up, he got washed up, and he got right back in the mission. 
He didn't stop just because he got beat up just a little bit. Write this down. Believers will not allow persecution to determine our obedience to God. Believers cannot allow persecution to determine our obedience to God. We are obedient to God because God requires it, regardless of persecution. If you look at Acts chapter 16, don't go there. I'm just going to work you through the story 25 through 34 for time. There's a story of Paul and Silas. And, and we pick up the story where, where, where they're there in the street and there's this young girl who, who is able to determine things that are going to happen in people's lives, basically when it comes down to it. And she's possessed. And so Paul and Silas, they go up to her and they, they basically cause that demon to get out of her. And because of that, they get placed in prison. And when they're there at the prison, the Bible says they're beaten with rods. They're placed in chains. They're tied to a wall. And there they are in the middle of the night. You know what they do? You know what they do. They pray and they begin to sing. How? When you've just been through what some people would think to be the worst of the worst, you've been beaten. And now you're tied to a wall and not, have no knowledge of what's going to happen next. And, and you start to sing? It says they sing it. They're worshiping God. Who you choose to pilot your life will determine whether you can worship when you're persecuted. And we know nothing about persecution yet. I have a friend who was a missionary over in the hills of Afghanistan. And he would have people come to know Christ as their Savior and, and would get ready to baptize them. And in the process of getting ready, he would have them there. The water would be there. And the last question that he would ask them is this. Are you willing to die for Jesus Christ? And if they say no, he won't baptize them. Because the fact is, as a Muslim, converting to Christianity there, they're probably going to die for it. You see, we don't know persecution yet. We can't allow persecution to determine whether we're going to be obedient or not. We must be obedient regardless. So how do we do that? How? How do you do that? How do you, how do you, how do, you do that? Well, the way you do it is you continue in the word. The two verses that you are probably most familiar with in the text that we have today are at the end of it. Verses 16 and 17 where it says all scripture, where it talks about the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Most of us know that by heart. That's what you're familiar with. But sometimes we don't go back and look at what he's talking about before that. How are we equipped for every good work? How can we do it? We, we do it through the word. This word can equip us. Have you ever heard God? You know, sometimes when we ask that question, people go, mm -mm, what? 
Have I ever heard God? What does it sound like? What does it feel like when God convicts your heart of a thing? What does it feel like when you know God is saying to you to do this? I mean, it ain't like Noah, y'all. God literally told him, build a boat. It's not like Abraham where God literally shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, do this. It's not like that. Is it some yearning inside your soul that God begins to build up and makes you want to move and do this thing? What is it like? Or is it something inside your heart when, when you're tempted by a thing, when that something inside of your heart just goes, don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And you flee from sin because something is pushing you. You know, the problem with conviction sometimes is our feelings, right? Right? And sometimes we get our feelings confused with conviction. You want to know how you always know if the conviction is real? If the conviction matches up with the Word of God, then it's God. But if it doesn't, it's you. The Bible says here that the man of God may be complete through this. You see, there's so much here. You know, if I want to know how to be married and how to do marriage the right way, it, it's right here. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. You can also go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and read right there, and it'll tell you how to be married, how to act married, and how to treat one another. If you want to know how to love, well, just go to 1 Corinthians 13. How about romance? Everybody's going, what? Song of Solomon. It's right here. It's right there. How about how to be blessed? Everybody wants to know how to be blessed, right? Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 22. Obey God. Love God. And hold on to him. That's what it says. If you want to be blessed, it's here. How do I work per through persecution? It's here, example after example after example. When I'm persecuted, I worship. I turn to God. He already knows. He knows. Just go to God. The same one who knows can deliver. Go back to the story in Acts. They worship. What happens? Earthquake. Chains fall off. Not only does it change their life, but it also changes the jailer's life. Go back and read the story, Acts 16. The jailer gets saved. The jailer gets saved out of their persecution. It, it, it's here in the Word of God. This word will even teach you how to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all your soul. Look at the Old Testament, all your strength. It teaches us all of those things. The word of God. You know, last week, 
Dr. Wilton. He kept saying after he would get finished with a point, remember he would say this, he would turn around and he would look at us and he would say, any questions? Now when he would say that, I was looking around at everybody because I was waiting. Somebody please ask him a question. <laughs> please, somebody. And I started thinking, what's a hard question? What's a hard question? What's... Right over there, y'all, I'm thinking, what can we ask this guy? And he did it like three times. He gets up there again. Any questions? And I go, I'm waiting for the question. In the second service, somebody asked the question. They did. And he just, boom, he answered the question. A few years ago when I was pastoring, I'm about right here. And I'm, I love to be on the floor instead of, I just, it drives me nuts up there. But I'm right here. And there's a college student. She's a senior in college. And she's sitting right in front of me. And I'm preaching from Genesis chapter uh, 16. And I'm just working through the story of Hagar there and how God is, is blessing her. And as I work through there, I get to the Christophany there with, with, with Christ there in the Old Testament. And as I'm, as I'm talking about that and just preaching that text, up goes her hand. And listen, she's sitting right there. The whole congregation can see it. And you're faced with a question. Do I ask her to ask the question? Or do I just walk away? You can't walk away. You can't. You have to, you're stuck. You have to answer the question. And so I just go, Lord, please help us, help us, help us. And that's what I'm saying inside my mind. And I just looked at her and I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, is there any evidence of what you're talking about? And I said, yes, ma'am. There's evidence of it right here. Look at verse number 13. What she doesn't know is it was my very next point. And we read verse number 13, and she goes, ah. Folks, you know who has the answers? God has the answers. It's right here in his word. And there is nothing that we can face, no way we can be persecuted, no way in our service to God as we're serving him, whatever we're running to, there is nothing that he does not have the answer to, nothing. And here's the thing about our God, here's how much he loves us. He didn't just save us and just leave us out there flapping. God is with us every single step of the way. But we got to hold on. We do. Can I just say this? Often enough, this, this is how we are. We know we're saved because we trusted him as our Savior. But so often what we do is this. We're just barely touching him. We don't want to be so up and tied around him that, that, that we're always just godly, godly, godly. But I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do what he wants me to, too. So I'm just going to be touching him all the time. But you see, that's not what God wants. Deuteronomy 11, chapter 22, it says literally, cling to him, hold on to God. And what it's getting at right there is putting your arms around God, wrapping your feet around God, kind of like one of them koala bears does. 
You're holding on to God. You place all of your weight in Jesus Christ. And as we do that, he takes absolute control of our life. And everything we walk through, you know what? I'm just holding on to Jesus. I'm just holding on. Just holding on. It's what we do. A couple of questions this morning and we'll close. Are you holding on to Jesus? Or does your life look a whole lot like those first nine verses? Pride. Fake. Running from the truth. What is it? You see, this truth that we have even tells us how to have that relationship with Christ. It says, for these things were written that you may know. It teaches us in Romans 3, 23, that, that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 6, 23 says, but Jesus, but Jesus died for that sin. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, if you're up there in those top nine verses, do we need to look at your salvation? Has there been a point in your life where you really surrendered to God? Has there been a point in your life where you looked at Jesus realizing that the only way that you could have eternal life is through Jesus Christ? The only way that you could have forgiveness of your sin and be with God was through Jesus Christ. Have you done that? We used to do something in the military, and I still do it whenever I talk to a lot of soldiers. What we would do with them is we would get to this time in our service and, and, and I would say something kind of like what I just did. And then I would say to these soldiers, I would say, if you want to accept Christ as your Savior, in just a minute, we're all going to close our eyes and we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. And when we get to the end of that prayer, everyone is going to still have their heads bowed and their eyes closed and I'm going to ask you to stand. If you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, Stand. In front of everybody, stand. Why wouldn't you? Are you ashamed of Christ and what he did? Stand. This morning, I'm not going to put you in that same position because some of you are going, oh no. But what I'm going to say is this. You'll never get to God outside of Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's not going to happen. You can't earn it. You can't pay your way into it. You can't church membership yourself there. You can't even go through the baptistry and get there. The only way is through Jesus Christ. He is it, Jesus alone. If you have not trusted him as your Savior, would you do this this morning? Pastor Craig's going to be right here, right here. Would you just come down here, take his hand, and say this, I need Jesus. Real easy. I need Jesus. 
Maybe you do know Christ, but you're not holding on. Maybe today you need to straighten all that out because you're not ready for persecution unless you're holding on to Jesus Christ. I ask you to come this morning as well. There's a great big old altar down here. There's a lot of people who will pray with you. Would you just come to Christ and say, I'm that other person? I'm saved, Lord. Thank you. But I'm not living the way I ought to. And sometimes I look a whole lot like those first three. Lord, change me. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you for this morning and we thank you for who you are. God, thank you for being our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you that you have made a way for us in this world. First, you gave us your Son to give us eternal life. But God, you didn't just leave us there. You walk every day with us through everything that we meet. God, I'm so thankful for that. Lord, this morning in our congregation, you're the only one who knows the lost from the saved. Lord, right now, speak to the heart of that one who's never trusted you as their Savior. They're fake. Would you convict their heart? Help them to know that you're real, that you're truth, and that you love them. Lord, for the rest of us in this church who, who know that you are our Savior, God, we struggle. But Lord, we know you're able. Strengthen us, God. Help us to turn, to repent of trying to do it our way and trying to fly our own plane. And God, allow you to be the pilot. Lord, we want you to be our chief, our boss our God. Move in us now. In Jesus' wonderful and holy name. Amen.